0: Mike, how do you feel about me buying an Xbox One X? I mean <laughs> uh,
1: I wouldn't say I have like complex feelings about it. Um I am a little bit surprised about okay. this 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 potential here purely just because of the conversation that we have had around the Xbox I think over the course of this yep. show it surprises me
0: that you would want to do that, I think. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised too. But what there's something I noticed then that's been kind of bugging me. Um. So last year, I I spent a good amount of money on a new television. I wanted to get this 55 inch 4K HDR TV, and I noticed that I've been playing and enjoying multi platform games lately, and. I also have a PS4 Pro, but every time I read the reviews of these games, like Assassin's Creed or Fair Cry 5, um, there's others that I want to buy this year, for example. Every time I read or watch the reviews, there's always the line, it's not real 4K on the PS4 Pro. To get the best performance on consoles, you want to have an Xbox One X. And that's been in the back of my brain, sort of bugging me constantly okay. about the fact that I don't have the best experience, despite, you know, having spent all that money on a TV. Yeah, so, like, what what's going on,
1: then, with the PlayStation? Then, like, what is it outputting?
0: No, 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 it's... The, the PlayStation... Um, there's this mm, thing called, like, 4K checkerboard rendering that it's not real native 4K, okay. but it's... Um, and I'm totally going to get this wrong, but it's some kind of fancy upscaling technique right. that it's it supports 4K output, but it's not true native 4K. So
1: quality-wise, it sits somewhere in between the regular PS4 and the Xbox One X, then?
0: You get slight, re- very slight improvements on, on the Xbox One X because it's native 4K. And arguably, the, the thing that most people notice is HDR. Now, full native 4K you bet. but it's just it's just the thing of not having the best uh that bugs me and i know I get
1: that it, i get it like if you paid the money for this specifically yes. and you you're not seeing that i understand that if like something is available out there that will give you the very best graphics and the very best look possible yeah. Why yeah, I can see how you would go down this path if that was what you were doing. Like I have a 4K TV, but I have no 4K games console right now and I'm not rushing to do it because mm-hmm. I'm waiting for a game. Like I'm waiting for Spider-Man, for example, mm-hmm. before I go yeah. down that route. Totally.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could most people could say uh you should build a PC and get a PC and, and the, on that platform you would get the best possible experience of a game but i don't want to do that i'm a console person i never owned a PC i have no intention of building a PC uh, i want to play console games on my big beautiful television i don't want to sit at a, at a desk or you know just build a PC i don't want to do that um and so for multi-platform games, I started asking myself, if I'm buying these games, and if these games come out both on PS4 Pro and on Xbox One, do which version do I want? Uh, and there's a bunch of games that I, like, my answer was, I would love to have the best version. And then something else happened. Um, so I've been keeping an eye on this um, uh, Enhanced for Xbox One X program, uh, which basically consists of multi-platform games that receive specific enhancements on the Xbox One X, such as uh, HDR and native 4K, but also it applies to the backward compatibility stuff. So on the Xbox One X, you uh, on the Xbox One in general, you have backward compatibility with select original Xbox titles. So we're talking here like the fir- very first Xbox, so games from 2002 or something. Um, and Xbox 360. Some of these games are receiving 4K updates Mm -hmm. for the Xbox One X. Uh, I don't know if you saw um, Red Dead Redemption, the original. You can now play in in native 4K on the Xbox One X and it looks real, real nice. Um, There's also stuff like uh, Panzer Dragon uh, Orta, which is a game from Sega from 2002, 2003. Uh, There's a bunch of stuff that you can replay uh, on the Xbox One X that supports native 4K resolution and not only that you can either play with a disc if you're on the original game on a disc or you can just download the old game digitally from the marketplace and they you know you can pay, pay for them like $10 or $20 or something and you get the 4K updates if you have a Xbox One X and that is really interesting for me because I I basically missed the entire Xbox 360 generation uh, for those five to six years that I really did not play video games for some reason. Um, and I would love to catch up on some of the games that I missed. Uh, even stuff like Halo, for example, or Gears of War, or Red Dead Redemption, because the, the new one is coming out this year, and it would be awesome to play the first one in 4K. Um, and so I I wanted to talk about this because... It's the combination of these two, I don't want to say problems, but these two thoughts that I had of when I'm buying multi- multi-platform multi games, which version do I want to buy? Um, because I love my PlayStation 4. I love all the PS4 exclusives that we're getting, like God of War. And, uh, you know, uh, there's the Uncharted from last year that I still need to play. There's Spider-Man coming out. So, of course, I'm going to keep my PS4 Pro. And the Switch is totally out of this discussion because the Switch is unique. Yeah. But when I'm buying multi-platform, maybe I want the best version. Um, and then there's the, the discussion on uh, this old Xbox stuff that I missed, uh, especially the, from the 360 era that now I can play again in a legal way and in native 4K, which is really intriguing for me. Yeah, I
1: mean, especially like going back and playing some of the old games might be fun, right? Like it gives you a good reason to go in and try some of those like older generation games. And clearly Microsoft is putting the effort in right now to make sure that they are upscaled to the best that they can possibly be to give you the most out of it. Like that does feel like a compelling reason to to do it, that because it does seem like that you know, whilst they and we spoke about it it's a bunch, don't necessarily have the hot new exclusives. If you are looking for four K, I mean, not only do they have the console for it, they're back. They're making like backwards compatibility. That they're, they're going back and refining and refreshing a bunch of games. Like that's pretty interesting, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean the the. I was taking a look at the technical comparisons. You know, Digital Foundry, uh, they do this excellent YouTube series of uh, super technical comparisons of games uh, on multiple platforms. Uh, But also, I was reading through um, for the original, uh, for the Xbox 3, actually, I think for the original Xbox titles, when you run them on an Xbox One X, you get a 16x (laughs) resolution bump. Um, so you're basically running these games at 1920p, which is a weird resolution, but also you're coming from this console from 15 years ago and you're bumping up to a 4K output. So it sounds weird, but it looks really nice. You can go on YouTube. There's a bunch of footage of these 4K, 60 frames per second games. Like I was I was watching a video of Conquer. you know, the, the, the Conquer video from, what's it called? Bad4Day. Uh, for mm-hmm. for the original Xbox, and it runs a 4K, <laughs> and that's a game from like 15 years ago. Wow! Uh, yeah, and there's um, you know the 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 original Xbox uh, launch lineup. There used to be that weird platformer with the with the fox character. What's it called? Blinks, blink, Oof, something like I have that. No idea. That that's a long time away, man, and that's a long time ago. And and it's a game that you can digitally download now and play on an Xbox One X. I think it's fascinating that um, Microsoft is doing this stuff, probably because, you know, they don't really have any new original games coming to the Xbox One X, uh, to the Xbox One. And this is a good enough excuse, not only to convince people to get an Xbox One, but maybe to convince them to upgrade to the m- more expensive option, which is the X version, which is not cheap. It's f- uh, I looked yesterday, it was like 500 euros. So mm-hmm. it is not a cheap console <laughs> if you just want to play old Xbox games. So it's uh, it's something that I need to consider because it's um, it's kind of expensive. And I mean, I'm doing this just uh, because I want to have the absolute best. Um I always been in I've always been in favor of you know the console war discussion. My strategy has always been just have all the consoles so there's no arguing, there's no war if you if there's you no war participate. in the There's no war, there's, there's no war yeah. if you take all sides. <laughs> 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 you know? So uh I would love to have an Xbox, a PS4 Pro and a Switch and whenever a game comes out I know that I'm gonna be able to play it. Uh, but it's expensive and it's a it's a big console and it's another piece of electronic that I gotta put in my bedroom. I don't know. Well, let me know.
1: ask you: Is how like I want on a scale of like uh, pre-ordering three Nintendo Switches to talking about building a PC for the last eighteen months? Where are you uh, on that scale? Um, <laughs>
0: the Mike Hurley so, scale of game purchasing. So uh, le- le- let me put it this way. Uh, my probability scale from 1 to 10, I think I'm around 7. All right. Um, so what you, what's, not... what
1: are, what's going to push you over the
0: edge then? I need to I think I honestly I need to educate myself more on the exclusives that I'm missing for the Xbox 1. I know there's Cuphead. I know there's that Thieves. game pub g nah, i don't want uh, pub g not sea of thieves i don't really care pub g i i kind of care and there's th- that game that action game that you used to play a few years ago mike from insomniac maybe um or uh what do you remember that game that was super colorful oh Sun- sunset what? overdrive yeah yeah so what i called? mean that game yeah sunset overdrive yeah it looked kind yeah. of fun no. <laughs> it was can't, not was was fun. It's like a
1: button mashing game which is not my deal. Um but it is a great like beautiful game. It's worth worth trying at least. Um you might like it more than I did. A lot of people really like that game, but I kind of got bored of it quite quickly because um, mm-hmm. all the combat is like there's a I mean there's some fun stuff you can do with it but like ultimately it's like button mashing which is not yeah. really my deal okay. but you might like it because you it has some like arcade fighting game type feel to it and i know that you like those types of games so i do yeah. you know so you might like sunset overdrive more than i did um, it okay. is great because it's a big bright colorful game in a sea of gray dark bleak games right that's one, yeah, of, the yeah. that it. It one of the things that people liked about it's one of the things i liked about it and it was very funny it's very self-referential very funny game um but just the, the the basic game mechanic i think just wasn't my type of game mechanic but you might like it though like and also i bet you could pick it up pretty cheap now
0: yeah i think so i'm um, really it's a discussion it's a it's a problem of i need to know more about the xbox platform um because I kind of feel bad about. Shall we
1: it. petition the listeners of Remaster to provide you with resources?
0: Yes, and recommendations. I mean, if you, if you own an Xbox One, and I mean, you you must have been playing all of these exclusives that you can get. This is the this is the
1: chance that the Xbox fans of this show have yes. to finally yes. get Xbox. Because, like, if you get an Xbox and start talking about the Xbox all the time, then I'm going to end up getting an Xbox, right? Like, if you're is just like, the- oh, here's this amazing <laughs> Xbox game. Like, well, I can't talk about it unless I get one as well.
0: So I think, I mean, besides Cuphead, uh, there's the other one, Ori and the Blind Forest, yep. uh, that came out a couple of years ago. Um, and I I know that I also want to play Forza. Uh, I'm not sure if I want Horizon 3 or Motorsport Seven. There's one of them that is open worldish. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm, I, like For, Forza became a little bit more arcadey, right? The most recent
0: one, or was that Horizon? I don't remember. See, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I I need to I need to do some research. I know that there's one that is more arcadey and that lets you explore like a big map. And I, I want that. I yeah, want that. <laughs> that is what
1: I'm really missing on the Switch. Like a good. Yes, like I want burnout or like you know something like that yeah. or like a Forza. Th- I think it might be Horizon. No, Ho- no, Horizons. The the I don't think it's Horizon. That's Horizon Zero Dawn, right? Or is that a different?
0: No, game? no, no. There's a there's a game called Forza Horizon Three.
1: Forza Horizon, which that's the one that I think Forza Horizon is the one that is less like Gran Turismo and more Need for Speed. So m-
0: motorsport is like Gran Turismo. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Forza oh, okay. Horizon. You may be right. That's you may be the right, one that this... I want to play yeah. as well because that's where it's like fast cars, open world, go out and explore. Yes, There's you're, like, you are uh, right. A Hot Wheels expansion, which I'm looking at on the website now. Like, it is way more of a
0: fun Oh, yeah, it says game. compared to the simulation-focused Motorsports line. So, yeah, I want Horizon. That's, that's the one I want.
1: Man, um, I'm tellin- Federico, you should just buy it. Just buy the Xbox, <laughs> buy Forza <just> Horizon, t- <laughs> buy uh, Sunset Overdrive and PUBG and Sea of Thieves, and then you can just tell me what you think of them all.
0: So... Is sea of th- So you've you've been watching a bunch of streams for th- uh, Sea of Thieves, mm-hmm. I suppose, because you you always watch streams. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a single player game at all, or is it just yes, online?
1: It is single player. You can play on your own. It's always online, right? It's always online. But you play on your own, but it's better to play with people. And honestly, uh, like okay. everyone that I know that's played the game, all the people that I've seen, all the reviews that I've read, is like it is fun for a few hours and then it gets really repetitive. But those first few hours are like some of the best multiplayer experiences that you can have because it's like super weird and fun and everyone has to work together to operate the ship. Um, And kind of everyone that I've seen is like this game could be so good if there was actually more game to it. Like Mm -hmm. the the Mm -hmm. missions are really repetitive. But this is one of those things where like (laughs) you buy your mythical Xbox, I buy my mythical PC and we could play together.
0: Imagine, imagine if we turned Remaster into an Xbox and PC Microsoft, show. Microsoft.
1: It's just all <laughs> Microsoft all the time. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the second half of 2018 for Remaster. This is what happens when Shahid isn't here. He's, he, we've got a great yeah. interview, actually, in a little bit that Shahid has been working on today. He's on location getting an interview for us. But this is what happens when he's away. We turn the show into a Microsoft-focused show.
0: What have we, what have we done? He's never going to leave again. Do you want to tell me real quick um the the games that you're excited about? Yeah,
1: yeah, I've got two. I've got two Nintendo games that are coming out in the next Surprisingly. few Surprisingly. Well, when you want I haven't got my PC or you haven't got your Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm really looking forward to Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. It comes mm-hmm. out on May 4th. I played through this game. I think I may have completed it or nearly completed it um years ago on the Wii U. It is a absolutely fantastic local co-op game to play. It is really really good fun to play this game with someone and that's what I did. Um I th- I don't think you've played this game and I think you're going to like this game a lot. It is a really really fun game to play with people. And it's one of those games that it is rewarding even in mixed um skill. Like you can be not as good at games and still enjoy playing this one. You know, like it. It, it can Babe. be. It, it's pretty rewarding in the assistance that it will give you, whilst also having some complexity and some good puzzles. But you can be in a situation where like one person can do the majority of the work. That kind of thing. It's a very, very, very fun, colorful platformer for especially for multiplayer. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Um, the other is Labo. So uh, I only found out today that it's short for Laboratory. I I just assumed it was just like a random name that they came up with because that's what Nintendo does. Uh, Yeah, it's short for Labo. Um, Because one of the things about it, which we haven't spoken about yet, is the fact that you can actually create your own games. Mm. And there's a a bunch of like... um, So The Verge put together a video today um where dami lee she programs like a guitar into the game with a song like she she puts the song into it as well like using the toy kong garage that it has which lets you kind of build your own physical things and then program your own software things too like it re- i i need to dig more into that part of it which i've not spent so much time looking at but There is a lot that you can do with this, Um, but I I sent a video to you today of uh, Polygon with Simone and Brian at Polygon Mm -hmm. uh, playing the RC car game. They built Mm -hmm. it and played the RC car. It looks like so much fun. Like, the building is really surprising. So the pieces all look really nice. Like, it all looks really well made. Like, the pieces seem to pop out of the cardboard sheets really easily. Uh, But the building can take, like, some of them take 15 minutes, some of them take an hour to build, to to actually put the cardboard together, is what they estimate. The piano, you know the piano with all the little piano keys? Nintendo estimate that it takes up to three hours to put it together.
0: Wow. Wow. And that excites me. It's like Lego. Basically a couple of these. But like, I like the idea that
1: like, there are some of them that take real time to put together because that's part of the fun of it. Right. Is the actual building of the thing. Um, and it looks like the software kind of, um, that that you build with it, you can like forward and reverse it. And it like shows you exactly how to make all of the folds and like how to put all the pieces together and stuff. Um, it looks kind of dumb and fun and amazing in Nintendo like I'm like, it was really fun to watch Simone and Brian put the pieces together and like how amazed they were at all of the things that it could do, including like in the, they do put together the RC car in the video that's in the show notes. And when they discover that the infrared camera can be used to like make the RC car, follow your hand around a table, like that looks like so much weird, amazing Nintendo fun. Um mm. The joke, which I can't believe I I mean, I'm so happy Nintendo did this because they must have known that it's like sixty nine dollars and it comes out on four twenty. Um you, you've you've seen that meme, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's sixty nine ninety nine and it comes out on four twenty. Like very nice. <laughs> very, like it's as nice as something can be, but outside of the U S it comes out on uh, April 27th. So oh, it's, no. it's not no. so nice. It's not so nice. comes out next Friday. Um, I've blocked out my day. I'm really excited to, to play Labo. Like I'm, I'm really like, this just looks so strange and fun. Like I got like the big variety pack, um, And if I really like it, I'll get another one. I actually bought the accessory pack too, because it comes with a bunch of stickers and I just want the stickers for my own personal use. (laughs) Of course. Like I just, you know, it's like a bunch of like Mario character face, face parts and stuff. Like I can put those to great use in other places. But yeah, I'm really excited about Labo because it seems that everyone that gets to play with it is always surprised and delighted by it. And that's exactly what I would want from something like this. So,
0: do you have it on pre-order at all? Not yet. Okay, I'm not. I'm not sure. Well, tell Um, you what,
1: let me get it, and then in a couple of weeks' time, I can tell you what I think of it. Right? Perfect. So perfect. And we got an episode on the seventeenth of May uh, because we're going to be taking a, a week off in early May. Um, but Mm -hmm. on that that episode on on May 17th I'll give you my Labo review so
0: it'll be a few weeks late
1: I'll have had time probably to build everything and play with everything by
0: then and I'm going to tell you about God of War which I'm going to get tomorrow um, which is going to be Friday April 20th i'm i'm really looking forward to this game um, yeah the internet is kind you. of
1: exploding about it today right the reviews yeah, are all coming yeah. out today and everyone seems incredibly excited and like again also surprised by just how good this game is i always love games like that where like people are like oh this is going to be a good game and then it yeah comes because everybody out and it's thought, like oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> this yeah. is this is even better than we expected
0: Everyone thought, "Oh no, Kratos is now dead. This game is boring. He doesn't have wow. the chains strapped to 10. his arms anymore." It got a
1: ten on Polygon.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. It's, uh, mm. I'm. I'm really. See, when I told you like PS4 exclusives, I'm really excited yeah, about this one. Really, I got a physical copy. At. Uh, I don't do that often for games anymore at this point. So, uh, and I'm gonna be telling you maybe, maybe about the Xbox one. Um, X. Yeah, so many, so many, so many axes in in this in this. Concept. Yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued like, yeah.
1: to hear your thoughts about God of War because, like. I can't imagine that i will have the time to sink into a game like that between now and our next episode so like Mm -hmm. i'm keen to see what you think about it and also if it you know if i really should be getting a ps4 pro for a game like this but again i'm i'm going to be watching some streams as well um i'm really into watching game streams right now like (laughs) in a big, big way (laughs) but honestly really it's Basically, only what Polygon produce. I just their video team Federico is so entertaining to me. Uh, I basically watch everything that they do, and I know that they're doing some God of War streams uh, this week, so I'm going to be watching some of those too. I I understand why this is such a big thing for people like game streaming, because if you get people that are like, it's like podcasting, but also with a video game. Like I I don't just watch games I'm interested in. I watch the people that i like right yeah right and then and then i watch what they have to say so that's kind of that's kind of what i enjoy the most right so like polygon's video team though the people that do that i think that they're really really good and they're really really entertaining so i watch what they make and it also turns out as video games at the same time it's like how you know i i hear from people that will listen to like the pen addict but they don't care about pens they just like hearing me and Brad talk about it because they think it's fun to hear people that like a thing talk about a thing. Mm-hmm. Like that can be just an entertaining experience. So it's like, it's like that, but like I've found a group of people whose work I really enjoy, so I watch their streams and then you know like um so you know A Way Out, that game A Way Out? Yes. I've seen
0: I've watched the entire game now. They did... Uh, that's perfect to watch as a stream, and especially you're watching multiple people. that yeah. they did,
1: I'm going to find it and put it in the show notes. It was uh, Simone de Rochefort and Jenna Doba. They played the entire game together and it was really fun to watch them play it over like these two sessions because I experienced the game in a way that I may not have because this is a game that I think I think you can only play in local. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I don't think you can know play on... Like- would be that interested in, in that game and has the skill level to get through a game like that um in local in local co-op. So it was it was actually just really fun to watch two people who knew what they were doing play through the game, see their like experiences. The ending is like really amazing of this game in like you know, and no spoilers, but like as you can imagine there is a twist. But the twist was like, whoa! Like, okay, like, and it was really fun to watch them react to it and stuff. So, um, I'm gonna find that I'm gonna find those videos and I will put them in the show notes for people to watch because they're really, really entertaining and it's really good fun. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I really like watching this stuff, man. It's like I'm into it big
0: time now. Yes, uh, streaming and watching other people stream games. It seems like it's a fun substitute for not playing the game like you didn't play a way out but you watched people play it and now it's kind of like you did
1: yeah and that now i i mean okay it probably isn't great for the developer but now i don't need to play the game i know yeah yeah because i've experienced it but in the same time there will be a lot of people that wouldn't have played the game that now will play the game like i think that it goes in balance right this stuff
0: yeah all right well um i will tell you all about god of war and you will tell me all about the cardboard pieces that you destroy because of Nintendo
1: yeah that sounds like a good a good compromise I think
0: <laughs> all right so what do we have now
1: so after this break uh, Shahida has sit, sat down with Michael French who runs the London Games Festival to kind of talk to him about London as a gaming hub and the London Game Festival and some of the impacts that some stuff like Brexit may have on London as a hub for games um, so you can hear that after this break Uh, But first, let me thank our sponsor for this episode. It's a new sponsor to Remaster, and that is Away. Away are a team of thinkers, seekers, and designers who have made smart premium suitcases. And they do this in a way that means that your luggage will not cost more than your plane ticket. Now, if you're anything like me, when you're traveling... One of the things that you're going to need most is more battery. And when you buy an Away suitcase, you can charge all your devices while you travel because both sizes of their carry-on feature USB ports of a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge, and it very easily just pops out, and you can take the battery out with you, like if you want to check your case, and then still have your battery with you so you can charge stuff when you're on the plane. Very easy to do. just pops right out, and you can take it with you. Go to awaytravel.com slash remaster right now, and you can browse Away suitcases, some of the feature premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance while still remaining lightweight. They have over 10 colors and five sizes now. They have the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large, or the kids carry-on. And they cut out the middleman, making sure that this, this uh, amazing luggage stays at coach prices you get first class luggage at coach prices away suitcases have a patent pending compression system they have four 360 degree spinner wheels they're all compliant with major u.s airlines while still maximizing what you can pack and they feature tsa combination locks built in and a removable washable laundry bag i just took my away case with me when i was traveling it was amazing i love the washable laundry bag because then when i get home all of my Clothes that need to be cleaned are in the bag. I just unzip the bag and just dump them into the hamper. Very, very easy. Um, I absolutely love my Away suitcase. It's light. It's tough. It's got all of the features that I need and then some extra on top of it as well. Away believe in the quality of their products. They offer a lifetime guarantee. They will fix or replace anything for life. And they have a 100-day trial with a no questions asked return policy. So you can try out that case. Make sure that it's right for you. Travel with it. Use it and before you even have to decide for sure that you're going to keep it it's really amazing 100 day trial with free shipping on any order with within the lower 48 states of the US but they do ship worldwide as well you can travel smarter with a suitcase that charges your phone. Go to awaytravel.com slash remaster right now and use the code remaster at checkout to get $20 off any of their suitcases. That is awaytravel.com slash remaster. And the code remaster for $20 off are thanks to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM.
2: We're delighted at remaster to be joined by the one and only Michael French. Michael was formerly... The editor in chief and publisher, if I'm not mistaken, of Develop That's and right. MCV, mm-hmm. the foremost industry magazines. And it was my pleasure to to know Michael uh, back in the dim and distant past. All seems <laughs> so long ago now, eh, Michael? It does yeah. And you're now head of. Games at Games London and yeah. the senior program executive of what we're going to talk about today of the London Games Festival is that right?
3: That's right. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Head of Games is what it is. So it sounds very formal.
2: It, it does sound very formal, but I mean, it sounds like you've got an awful lot of responsibility, and basically, the weight of the the cultural promotion of London as a gaming hub to the world falls on your shoulders and that of your team.
3: When you put it like that, it sounds like a big responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, uh, I, I guess that's true to an extent. Um, what we do is, you know, so, so, so we're, not, we're not the we're not the only thing in London doing things for games. It's one of the first thing I'd say, but you know, we are uh, funded by the Mayor of London's office, and so we have a we have this kind of official, formal, from above mandate to support and promote London as a place for video games, whether that's a place to play them or a place to uh, make them a place to invest in them or a place to visit. So you can find out about games generally. So, so yeah, so, so, so it does, it does kind of, you know, it sounds big and big and big and serious in that sense. Um, um, But yeah, we've been doing this for three years now and, you know, along the way we've, we've connected with other institutions that are doing things in games or looking at games or trying to touch, touch games and, and, and kind of include them in what they do. So you Know in a broader sense, we're kind of helping everyone, and uh, you know, it's a cumulative force thing. You know, the festival we do wraps up some other events that we don't run at all and, and, and didn't and that pre pre existed us, so you know, there, there's a lot of um, it's just a it's, it's it, i often see it as it's turning into a moment where a lot of us are looking in the same direction, and we just ha- are also lucky to have this kind of this government
2: backing. So it's almost like um, you know, you get the uh, stuff going on in Edinburgh, and then you have developer, so comedy stuff in Edinburgh, but you also have uh, developer conferences in the US where other peripheral events are happening, and uh. those things tend to happen informally. Yeah. But it it just happens to be the case that because you've got so many like minded people in the same place at the same time, that all this stuff happens on the fringe. And I remember having a, uh, being part of a discussion around this uh, many months ago where you started to formulate the idea of including all of these fringe elements under the umbrella of the mm-hmm. London Games Festival yeah so really what I wanted to ask you was how did this all come about
3: so, so it started before I took the job to run it all the bid for the funding came through this emerging alliance between Yuki uh, which is the the trade body for video games and Film London which is the screen agency for first for, for, for London and so they you know they represent film and tv and you know when things are filmed here and vfx and things and, they, and they, they're they very closely connected with the mayor's office they're funded by them and they're interlinked with things like um uh the bfi and you know their sister organization is the british film commission and, and and so with this kind of this meeting of the film and games worlds they they could see that there was this growing sort of a convergence between the two sectors but also just the fact that games and we know this as as games people. This is this is something we've known for, for you know for years that games are a huge cultural force. They're almost a subculture, like countercultural, because they're enjoyed by such a such a broad range of people, and a lot of them are un- unacknowledged or unseen. Um, but it was just a case to to, to formalise and and build a something that can support that the sector that makes the content that drives that culture and and expand it because it's such a big driver. Video games and interactive entertainment. You know they they. They make so much money for the economy for the companies that make them, but they can do more. And 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 so I think when, you know, when my colleagues kind of sat down and said, right, how are we going to do this? How are we going to how are we going to you know fit this together and make it a, an official thing? It was all about you know adding some cohesion to everything. And there there had been a London Games Festival before. It was kind of privately run and it was quite vast. It ended up ended up being a lot of events that weren't owned by that festival all all kind of under one umbrella and I think the difference here is that you know there's kind of a there's kind of a core of it to the things we do as Games London and then those other things around it bolt in and we also have a kind of an out of season program of business support for games companies in London about you know educating investors about
2: the potential in games and doing some training. So it sounds like you're working with a lot of organizations it seems and trying to create something that is more than the sum of its parts and I felt that this time round you really knocked it out of the park with that but for those who don't know too much about the other organizations and how you work with them can you tell us a little bit about who those organizations are very briefly and what their purpose is and and why they're working with you?
3: Yeah sure so so the the festival is kind of like is ten days long, and you know we have uh, a handful of events we we want to do. We want to run some objectives around them, but if we just did those, the festival would only be half the size it is. So, the other half of the other half of it is, you know, there's an event at Somerset House called Now Play This, which is which was devised and and is and is you know still is run by them and curated by a, a group of uh, curators called Matheson Marco and the the two people specifically that run it, um, Holly Gramazio and Sophie Sampson. Their vision is for an event that that puts games in uh, like an art gallery context. And actually, they're all games that aren't traditional expo style games. Uh, they're all made by artists or, you know, emerging de- designers. And so we part fund that and the Arts Council of England actually funds the other half of it. And then on the flip side, there's a big event called EGX REST in the schedule, which has been going for years before us, but was always been in, it eventually migrated to London. And I think when the festival came around, they, they were very keen to have another thing that kind of, you know, they do their own thing. They do what they do is amazing and brilliant. And, you know, I always tell people if they say, if I want to go somewhere and check out, you know, 100, 100 odd games, where should I go? And it's like, well, you, you should probably go there. Um, but we had an extra layer on top of that. And then things like the BAFTA Games Awards, they have kind of shifted their dates to be during the festival. And they're, and they're a close kind of ally of ours. And then... There is uh, like a, you know, there's one or two other events that take place during the time. There's a big event called Future Tech Now, which just happened to be at the same time as us. But we was we kind of had a chat with them, and they said the same to us. As look, we're at the same time. We need to kind of co promote each other. And then there's a fringe of about twenty five to thirty events. Of all different shapes and sizes, that we put a call out and invite people to run them, and they they range from tiny seminars. Some of them are kind of you know run by businesses to meet other businesses. Or um, there's an event called uh, Rumpus, which is like a, a thousand person. Uh, it's basically a games themed rave, and and so it's a real variety of stuff. And you know that that it, I think if you if you kind of offer a platform for people to be involved in, that's why we've attracted so much other support in that sense. And, and people saying, well, I will. I had this quiz night for video games, so I'll run it during that week. Or, you know, we do a board game night and, and things like that have just kind of, we've snowballed in a sense and picked up along the way.
2: The scale seems incredible. Do you think this could happen? I mean, this is a bit of a leading question, but do you think this could happen anywhere other than in London?
3: Um, I think yes and no. <laughs> um, I I think this as soon as we announced that this was happening uh, about which was almost just uh, just over 2 years ago you have this kind of there there's there, there's a set of people that oh god this is something else it's another thing that london gets and we don't and, and there is and there is a natural and i think they're right to if you, if if you're someone that isn't in london to be a bit wary of the fact that london gets a lot of attention but london's the capital city the transport links everything kind of all leads here it's the entry point for the whole country for some people it's the entry point to all of europe and when it's a very diverse city the creative industries here are huge so i think if you're going to do a festival for video games it's kind of natural to do it to to, to do it here i think i think there's there's also there's an opportunity for other ones around the country and there are a few now there's there's, you know, there's a great one in yorkshire game city in nottingham has been going for a number of years kind of on and off um and i think there's there's probably scope for for, for more to crop up along the way um Especially given that what a, what a quote festival does in 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 kind of a, a creative industry sector, not a festival when it's festival season, everyone's outside and listening to music in fields, what have you. But those things are great platforms for local industry. So that's you know, and that all that leads back to the one of our objectives is that if we can bring people to the city for the for the ten days or part of those ten days, we can talk. We can kind of offer a platform to talk about people here. So 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 I think the answer is. Yeah, the answer's a bit a bit of both, really.
2: <laughs> I mean, you, interestingly, you talked about London being seen as a gateway to the country, but also the gateway to Europe. And I wanted to ask you how you think uh, the issues around Brexit mm-hmm. have shaped or coloured what you've done this year. And how do you think it's going to affect um, what you do in the future with the London Games Festival?
3: So I have been asked this a few times by... Um... Like other journalists and things about you know, and it's kind of the, thrown in at the end uh, as kind of the, the gotcha. <laughs> and um, the the, the but the, my and but then when I reply, it always sounds like I'm just trying to fob them off. But I I always say that I don't think anything's ever going to stop UKP UK. UK the, nothing's going to stop the UK games industry, right? It's we're, whether we're in the European Union or not. It's gonna it's gonna take place. So you kind of have this almost carry on regardless mentality to it. What matters when it comes to things like Brexit is, um, you know, and these are the things I'm not necessarily involved with, but my colleagues are. Is feeding back into government government strategy and policy when they put out a call for how we're going to how we're going to respond to things like, you know, visas and talent migration, etc. And being you know maybe you know the festival kind of has to provide a platform for those things to be discussed as well. Um, but you know we have to we have to kind of keep just talking about. What it is that makes this a great place to make games? Because I think you know, as since the since the referendum, we've run two investor trips where we've brought um, investors over to kind of we give them a tour of, of places in London studios to visit, and um, uh, we you know we, we expose them to a lot of people working in games. And the first one we did was was weeks after, and they didn't seem that fussed by it. You know, for, for some people from the from outside of our Our UK stroke European bubble. They they just think they they just think it's a mild inconvenience in some sense. You know whether that's to do with currency exchange or potential talent issues. And they and if if they're an investor in it, they're kind of they'll try and find ways around it. I think what we have to do is just make sure we don't allow the negative parts around the story of Brexit to impact the reputation of our industry. Or which I think it's probably going to happen anyway. It's probably going to happen. you know people are going to have a take a bit of a take a bit of a view on things in our country when when stroke if we withdraw from the EU fully and everything um but we just have to be ready for it and you know there's loads of great stories loads of great companies here that are going to stay um you know I, I really only one of them has ever said to me oh it's a real challenge for us to to hire where people have said oh i might I might not move to your country because um, and, and take a job at your company because i'm not too sure the culture is right for me um, but, I, you know, I think some of those, all of those things can be addressed along the way. And you, you, we've we've got to hope that there's a kind of a uh, sense, people's senses are righted as they understand what, what the real impacts are. Because I think, you know, at the moment there will be some, I'm sure, but we also don't know what they are. So when there's a lot of unknowns, you have to kind of behave a bit more certainly or just try and talk about what you do know is certain, which is that there's a, this is a great place to make games.
2: I, I'm not going to betray any of my political views on the <laughs> subject, but do you think there is a Brexit dividend for the British games industry? And if so, what part do you think London might play in that? Do you mean in that um, that, that, that there might be an advantage to it? Right.
3: Yeah, I, I, I think it's. I think definitely. I think the thing with any, you know, and I won't. I won't color this answer with my with my uh, political views in <laughs> it. Uh, but i guess you know you look at the flip side of something where there's a contentious decision it's a moment for a country to kind of choose its destiny and i guess it's a moment you know it what's happened in the in the wake of it is that the they, the government's been talking more to sectors you know we have a sector deal now for the whole of the creative industries and they're putting a lot of things in place to kind of make it a strong make it stronger we have um you know, one of the one of the motivating factors behind my project was to put something in place that helped promote the tax breaks here, right? So you can you can get up to like twenty percent back on your production costs if you're making games here, and that's really attractive to investors and you know it's it makes us it makes us as affordable as silicon valley or barcelona um i think was 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 one of the ways we worked it out before and and but 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 that's capped because we're part of the european union maybe that maybe it would go up i can't see them taking away the tax break because it's such a driver for investment and if they look at it again in a few years as they have to do on like a cycle they might think well mate, if we bump it up a bit further it might drive more money you know and therefore the the, the benefit to the whole country and and a cluster like the london in games development where it's naturally the biggest the biggest single cluster of game developers in the uk is that there's more opportunities um so so yeah so yeah there could be something there could be something in it and you know if if people want to you know london i don't think it'll ever lose its it's kind of you know it's never going to lose the the allure it has as a as a historical place as a cultural place as a as, as an attractive tourist spot and somewhere to live. Um, there's just things like, you know, the cost of living that always need to be addressed and things like that. But, you know, hopefully, there's, hopefully there is good in it.
2: Moving on to slightly less political <laughs> subjects. And I hope you noticed that we're about halfway through. And so it really yeah. wasn't a gotcha for me. <laughs> no, not- no, no,
3: no. <laughs> it, it's, it it's interesting to talk about it in the context of the whole thing, because it, it, it does matter um but a lot of people think it's a bit of an afterthought but actually for us it does you know it does come up a lot and um like i say we try and carry on
2: it sounds to me like you're you're getting your priorities straight in that you're ensuring that because of this government is kept updated there are clearer communication channels the industry is keenly aware that we we don't want to lose a strong position uh, you know, a, a vibrant, creative environment. We don't want to lose any of that mm. because it, it'd just be bad for business, be bad for the country. And it sounds to me like you've got ears uh, with policymakers and government who are keen to ensure that we remain competitive in the creative industries and particularly games. Mm-hmm. So what were the highlights for you for this year's London Games Festival?
3: Uh, there were... I mean, every day ends up being a highlight. You end up working on it round the clock for ten days, and so every moment is, is a standout. When I look back on it now, there's uh, there's probably two moments that really uh, that, I'm, that I'm most proud of. Um, and you know, we, we create a lot of variety through the whole program anyway. But there, we did um, we did two things. We that, that, that we put a lot of time into really and, and so I think that's why a lot of time and effort so I think that's why they show and for me they feel like the biggest thing so the first one was we did a big event at Trafalgar Square for a day which was kind of uh it originally started out as a as an as a concept to just put an esports kind of tournament on in that big space it gets a hundred thousand people a day through there whether they're on like you know tourists or on a bus or whatever and you know whizzing or whatever and so so you get a lot of eyeballs but, it, but as time went on, we realised that this needs to be more about getting people to touch and feel games and kind of interact with them because that's what games are. And so it became a, a moment where we had some pro players from the US come in uh, who are eSports players and they played, again, they played rounds of Rocket League against members of the public. We had AR games uh, that were, we'd kind of curated with Apple in, in another area of the square in these – and both of them were in these giant dome, these inflatable kind of dome structures um, – so we we turned the the, the Trafalgar Square into a, into a festival in its own right, a festival in a festival. There were live kind of sideshow games called the Actual Reality Arcade, um, and Pokemon Go did a thing where they put a gym in on their map for the day. So it so it was a huge influx of people, people playing games, lots of people that never really get to see or experience games. Um, and I think you know one of our one of our one of our objectives is always to try and change perceptions, and that really really seemed to open the festival strongly and you know as something that i'd worked on it was great to see the payoff on it you know so extensively and and the idea changed along the way but we've done something now that i think the gla who you know our funder is keen to, for us to do again next year and there's loads of expansion scope so it's like a you know it's a great outdoor thing um and then the other thing on that is is a, is something called ensemble which was an exhibition about uh bame background um I guess artist is the word we use but they they're just creatives in games they they some of them are writers coders sound uh, technicians uh, there's someone that animates faces and the thinking behind this was to create something that we could that we could debut during the festival talk about uh, the workforce in our industry and then also the format of the exhibition is it's quite um, it's quite mobile it's quite portable so we can you know the displays for it. We can we have we pack down and we can take somewhere else. We're putting them up somewhere next week. We've got someone taking them on elsewhere in May, and then hopefully I can send them to other places. I'd love to be able to send it overseas somewhere. And it's it's to explain what it is. It's eight profiles of um, these people working video games. They all work in UK games. Um, they've all got amazing background stories. Um, they all happen to be uh, black, Asian, or minority ethnic. Um but really when you read about their stories that, that that you know, these are these are some of the many voices that work in video games. You know, and our belief is that, you know, a diverse workforce creates diverse worlds, diverse content. And games are pretty good at that. They could be better, and if we can do some work that champions those people and so, if other people from from those backgrounds who don't work in games see it and think, "Wow, well, that sounds like a great place for me to work," then brilliant, because we can help you know encourage them in, into games. Or also, if we can just you know change people's perceptions within our sector and say, "Actually, the, this workforce is quite diverse. It could be better." Um, and look at the contribution these people have made. And you know, when you look at if you look at the actual games that are related to the to the people in this exhibition, you know, there's stuff like to, the Total War series. Um one of the one of the chaps in there is a founder of a new studio, but he worked extensively on like a load of Ratchet and Clank titles over at Insomniac. Um and one of the one of the animators, he does he basically works on Faces and he worked on Gravity, the Sandra Bullock film, and then moved to Manchester to work on uh final a fight doing some outsourcing on one of the Final Fantasy games. So it's really varied and really interesting. Um and and my you know, we we there's a there's a little documentary that goes alongside it and seeing people kind of come along and look and watch and i think walk away having learned something about their sector or learned something about the pathways into it is is really interesting and and like i say you know are are we going to send that to other places so more people see it
2: it's really astonishing the amount of work you've put into all of this and all of these independent um, and yet connected initiatives as well i i I loved i have to say i love the the name of the diversity initiative. Mm. I thought it was really smart, uh, really clever and didn't sound corny. And it's so easy to yes. get something like that corny, you know? Totally. Um, ensemble is perfect. It's so inclusive and humanitarian. It gives you the sense of musicians playing together, different instruments in harmony. It's just a great name. So so I was I was really excited by that. But you know, when I look at all of these things that you're doing. I've got to ask you, how many people are involved <laughs> in getting this thing off the ground? Well, I mean, it, it depends how you look
3: at it. So, so our ensemble, we had, uh, we had a little steering group of people, I think, which yourself was sat on, and we had, and one of those, she ended up. It was quite clear that she should curate it because she'd worked on similar projects. So, you know, you know, and then there's a there's a photographer and a and a, and a, and a video guy, and, and so for that project, there's like, you know, there's a handful of people that do it, and my me and my team kind of feed in and help support them. I mean, I have two people that don't report into me and that's it, but we have other (laughs) freelancers. (laughs) Um, And we, you know, like, and so another event we did, you know, we have, we have an events company that kind of ran a lot of the background stuff for the, for the Trafalgar square thing. And they, you know, so they've got lots of subcontractors. And so it becomes like, it becomes like that, that specifically a workforce of like 50 people on the day. And then there's a handful of people plus me in the run up and, you know so i do a lot of juggling and a lot of flitting around between things i think i think that's just almost how it goes on a project like this um in that i end up sat on uh, a lot of the key parts of it i mean as time goes on i think we can scale up and add more people on but you know we also do a parade and again i i brought someone in to help kind of do some of that freelance and um an event production company to do some of the background work and that's so so there are more people as it goes along, but we are very we are a very slender team, um, and it does mean that I guess was it Tuesday during the festival last week was coincidentally my birthday, <laughs> but I was uh, I was at one moment f- helping front a live stream, the next I was uh, helping somewhere else and running the registration desk when someone was on lunch, and being part removal man when we had to take it all away and we had to hire a van to drive the stuff down the road, but you know I enjoy it. And it keeps the budget in check.
2: <laughs> I'm still ashamed that I saw you on your birthday, gave you a hug, and didn't say happy oh,
3: birthday. Oh, I forgot it was on one minute, on the Tuesday. <laughs> I said, "What date is it?" When I was filling something out or signing something, uh, much to much to everyone. Everyone really enjoyed uh, mocking me for that. But you know, birthdays are birthdays. You know, festivals don't happen that often, <laughs> um, and it's all worth it. You know, we, we are we are a small team, um, and we'll probably expand a little bit. Uh, we've just taken on an apprentice to do some digital marketing stuff for us. He's, he's kind of a shared resource, uh, or he's or so rather his role is across Games London and UK. So, you know, I think we're, we'll, we'll, we'll scale up over time.
2: I don't think I'm the only one who thinks it was an absolutely spectacular success. Thank you. And I'm sure you're going to go on to to make london and britain proud of the work that you're doing certainly the games industry in this country proud michael if people want to find out more about games london and the london games festival uh particularly for next year because i can imagine these things take a long time to put together how can they find out more who should they get in touch with what website should they go to? you
3: should go to games.london that's our website we have a london games fest twitter account that's the that's the name um and we've got facebook and instagram the last two aren't as well developed but but you know it's the website and the twitter account really is where is where you can find lots of information and we've got a mailing list and stuff but it's all the websites is pointing out to it really
2: michael french thank you so much for talking with us for today. Me. thank
3: you